for for being here. It's um, an honor to be back on stage. I'm excited about in-person events again. It's nice to see everybody. It's been a while since I've seen some of your faces, but um, thank you again for being here. Um, if you're interested in starting a business or have recently started a business, one of the biggest things is just showing up. So thank you for showing up and, and being here. Um, we're going to have an amazing panel, but I do want to let you know that at the end, we'll do some Q&A. So um, keep track of your questions. We'll do about 15 minutes or so at the end and want to answer as many questions as we can, because I know a lot of you probably have some great ones. So keep track of those. Don't forget them. We'll get to them at the, at the end. Um, but I first want to uh, have our panelists introduce themselves. Um, tell us who you are, uh, where you work. And I always like to say what you're about. Tell us a cause you're excited about. Tell us something you're passionate about this month. Uh, give us something, just something about you. Go ahead. Hey, y'all. Uh, also, thank you for coming out. My name is Alexis Puente, and I am with the DEC Network. So I am the manager of programs and engagement. So I'm responsible for all of our accelerator programs and coordinate outreach events. Um, something I'm excited for, right? Who you are, what you do, what you're about. Give us something you're pumped about this month. What's, uh, what's going on here at the DEC? What am I pumped out about? Um, we have a golf tournament tomorrow, so we're going to be talking to a ton of different community partners. We also have some outreach events coming up in October. We are partnered with the Social Chica, so really excited about that. That's great. BJ? Great. Uh, good evening, everyone. Uh, Benjamin Van, I'm founder and CEO of Impact Ventures, a uh, Dallas-based nonprofit uh, that focuses on closing the wealth gap through uh, capital, community mentorship, and education. Um, I would say that uh, we're on our sixth cohort uh, now of supporting black and brown founders. Uh, we've trained over 150 founders um, in our six cohorts. Um, they've gone on to raise about 12 million in capital plus. Um, I see some of y'all um, out here in the audience um, today. Uh, shout out to you all. Um, and we've, I'm actually excited that we've uh, just hit the 1 million mark in capital deployed this year uh, into black and brown communities as well. So. Um, we're just at the, I would say, just at the very tip of that. You know, we, we just uh, announced uh, Q4 of last year the Dallas Integrated um, Dallas Inclusive Capital Fund, which is a $20 million initiative to uh, invest and lend to black and brown founders, not looking at things like credit score or access to collateral and a lot of those barriers that exist for black and brown communities um, to deploy in the community. So that's what I'm, I'm most excited about. And I'm a recent father of two. Um, and so if you They're see my cute. left eye twitching, it's probably because I just... <laughs> I haven't gotten any sleep in a while. So uh, excited to be here and, and uh, speak to you about my journey and, and hopefully help you guys on yours. Good afternoon, everybody. Um, I'm Chris Butler. I'm a relationship manager with uh, Frost Bank. Um, I will help business owners. Um, but my background pretty much spans into uh, business finance. Um, also was a founder. Uh, started two companies. Uh, one was a men's uh, grooming club, kind of a hybrid of a barbershop and salon. Uh, we had two locations in Birmingham, Alabama. Uh, one was downtown. The other one was uh, was Saks Fifth Avenue, where we had it in their department store. Uh, had a men's skincare line, which was national um, distribution with the Nordstrom's, Lord & Taylor, uh, Belk. Um, we had some spas. So <clears throat> I'm very passionate about, you know, entrepreneurship and, you know, taking that journey and uh, really trying to build something. And I think obviously being here tonight, you know, we can share some of that knowledge. Um, and, and obviously, you know, things that you guys are wanting to accomplish or questions that you might have. Uh, so really excited to be here and uh, be a resource. Well, we're excited to, uh, to have you. Thank you guys so much for being here. I want to do a quick, uh, not an activity, I don't want to scare anybody, but I want to see a show of hands. Um, how many of you, and then keep your hands up when, once I ask the question. So how many of you are, have started a business? Raise your hand. 
how many of you want to start a business? No, keep your hands up. If you, if you have your hands, keep, keep them up. Okay, I don't see any hands that are down. So everyone, you're in the right room with the right people. So I want to congratulate you for being here. Um, again, this is a, a casual conversation, but I want you to take away, you got notes. So take notes, listen in, and again, be engaged for our Q&A towards the end. Um, but I want to start off, uh, I think we've all had a business idea, and then we say, well, okay, well then, then what? Where do we get started? And one of those frameworks um, that you're often recommended if you go to a resource is talking about a business plan. And I've always kind of laughed, like, oh, well, just let me get started. I'm not going to sit here and document it. But there's some, there's some importance to crafting a business plan, and, and I feel like a lot of entrepreneurs never know where to start. And Alexis, that's something that you guys have, have chatted a lot about here at the deck. I want to know, where do we start? Where do we, how do we start to map out a business plan? Yeah, so um, first, I just want to say your business is never too small or too simple to have a business plan. It's incredibly important. So your business plan, it's going to be basically, you know, planning out your roadmap for your journey. So thinking about the financial history, you know, if you're not in the ideation phase, looking at financial projections um, and thinking about your financial goals. So whether you're thinking about, do I want to be a lifestyle business and just support, you know, me and my family's income, or do you want to be a growth focus business. So figuring out, you know, which types of capital are important for you. And especially if you're in that ideation phase, I think, you know, maybe starting out with the lean canvas, right? So just a really simple um, condensed document. So it doesn't have to be too overwhelming. But, you know, regardless, if you're going to lending institutions or even talking to different investors, right, you have to have something. So it's really important. What are the kind of core pieces of, of a business plan that you feel like people struggle with the most? Like what's, what's sort of some of the hard elements to get started on? So I would say the thing that I've heard the most, that's the hardest, right? Financial projections. So it's just some numbers and how to determine, like, how do I even um, determine my pricing for my goods and services? So one thing I would suggest, you know, finding a score mentor and just figuring out, okay, um, there's a template online and you can figure out, okay, if I have a fitness studio, how can I charge for the service? So how much time am I putting into it? My background, right, my expertise, um, do I have weights? So what is the cost of the equipment I'm using? Yeah, those are hard to do and hard to project when there's so many variables. Um, BJ, I wanted to ask you, um, you get to see a lot of applications come through Impact Ventures, and I'm sure a lot of great ideas, some that you're excited enough to invest in and, and have joined, but probably a lot that, that you have to pass on. So I feel like you've got a good visual on the different ideas that are out there. Um, if startups come to you and have a great great concept, um, but it's a highly competitive space or there's somebody doing just exactly that. Like, What are some basic things companies or company founders and entrepreneurs can do to know if they're on the right track? A, a highly competitive space, do they need to check on IP? Does somebody have a trademark on this? What are recommendations you give to someone who says, I've got a great idea for hats, where do I go? Yeah, great point. And, and first I want to differentiate uh, the terms, right? Because I think in business we often get uh, um, bogged down with terminology, right, and the difference between a startup and a small business, right? So if you're coming to me as a startup, right, ideally the formal definition of startup is something that's never been done before, right? A startup is, is a, it's a, it's a product or service in search of a business model, right? Versus a small business, that is something that is uh, replicable. Uh, you can find it in the market. Say you wanna uh, start a coffee shop or a laundromat or a hair salon. Those things have been done before. Right, but a startup like a Uber or a Lyft or um, Airbnb or just you know any of these tech startups that you see out there in the in the world of startups, typically those business models um, you'll hear the term like product market fit, right, um, or you hear the term traction, 
right? Those startups are trying to find uh, a business model. They're trying to find traction, right? So first I would say like define if you have a small business or if you have a startup, right? And then once you know which one you have, then think about the long-term game of like, do you have a lifestyle business in terms of, is this something that will replace your job? Maybe you're good at marketing and you start a marketing firm, right? And it's a, it, it, it allows you to afford the lifestyle, but still do the same job, right? Or is it a traditional uh, legacy business? Is this something that you wanna pass to your kids? you know, to your uh, grandkids, you want to keep it in the family, um, or is it a venture-backed company, right? And this is a company that you're looking to grow really fast, scale really fast, and sell, right? So that means that there's, uh, an investor is looking to get a return on their capital once you sell or liquidate that business, or IPO um, in, in that. So once you figure out those things first, um, then think about, okay, what's out there in the market, right? And so what you're really pointing to is how do I identify my market, right? Uh, there's a ton of tools out there to use. Um, one is a very, I would say, complex and robust called Gartner. Um, it's a tool out there that you can use um, that really allows you to do um, deep market research on your business or your idea. If you have a small business, there's probably a lot of already history out there that you can see. Say you're trying to set up a, a brick and mortar, right? There's going to be a lot of information around the location you're trying to put it at, um, proximity, like is there another hair salon within five mile radius of where I want to put mine. And then there's other tools that you can use um, that allow you to really search um, uh, what other products and services are being used in certain markets. But in the startup realm, there's probably not a lot of things out there, right? So how you know if you have traction or if you, how do you know if you have a market is really depending on what your users are saying, right? Um, are they uh, subscribing to your, to your, let's say, your app or your service? Um, but how long are they staying, right? Are they subscribing for 30 days and after 30 days, you know, they're deleting the app from their phone? Like, there's a lot of signals you can say around what is my users telling me? What are, what's the data telling me? Um, if you have a subscription model, right, um, how long is that subscription? You can, if you have certain, um, um, uh, I would say, CPG tools like e-commerce tools, they actually have metrics built into tools now that can tell you, like, what's your average cost per user, uh, how much one user um, is spending with you, how long they've been with you, a lot of those metrics and those details around a lot of these new e-commerce platforms, if you're e-commerce business, can actually tell you some of those metrics. So uh, in short, you know, uh, I think those are some of the things that can, that can give you hints around like if you have some traction or if you have a market. But I would say the biggest thing is just ask your customers. Like never stop talking to your market um, in whatever that way that is, if it's surveys, if it's you know, guerrilla marketing, you're on the streets and you're handing out flyers or whatever you're doing, never stop talking to your audience. Uh, you, you mentioned product market fit and that comes up, it doesn't matter if it's your first startup or your 50th, it comes up in investor conversations and um, you know, it's, it's a popular term, but I feel like there's a lot of confusion around what that means. Can you really quickly give us an example of product market fit or how they might be able to discover what that is for their for their startup? Yeah, so oftentimes what I hear when startups come to pitch is like, we found product market fit. But when I actually dive into their business, what they're really saying is that they've really, um, they found some early adopters, right? So when you first launch a company, who are the first people that are typically going to support your business, right? Friends, families, and fools, right? <laughs> These three people, like friends, families, and fools, right? Uh, they're going to support your business. But after that kind of hype and that wave and that kind of feeling of this is new um, starts to phase out, right, who is that, who's that person that actually needs your product, right? 
Um, how many of you all um, get mad or frustrated sometimes because your family and friends aren't sharing your business? They're not patroning your business. My man, he raised his hand quick. <laughs> right. You used to, right? But you figured out that that is probably because the strangers are actually your, your customers, not your grandma, your auntie, your cousins. You know, they, they'll, they'll purchase your business that first time, but after that, you want to find the strangers, the people you have never been in contact with. People. Those are the people that are going to give you the reviews. I love your business. I love what you're doing, right? And so in its simplest form, that's how you know you found, like, product market fit. When people are, are coming to you, without the cost of you going to get them. So I'm not going to throw another acronym out there like CAC, customer acquisition cost, but <laughs> if it costs you less to get a user, let's say you're getting, by, getting users by referrals or by word of mouth, and it costs you nothing to acquire that user, that's how you know you're starting to get traction, right? Because you're not paying to get that customer. They're coming to you, and you're not having to spend money to get that customer. I don't mind the acronyms. We just got to explain, explain them. We got we to gotta spell it okay. out because there's, a, there's <laughs> a lot. And I know, uh, again, if it's your first company or, again, your 50th, there's a new phrase that comes out, I feel like, every week uh, that I got to Google. I spend a lot of time Googling them. Um, I'll say one thing on the, on the resource piece. Um, obviously, there's a lot of things that are out there that you can really take advantage of. But um, there is a group called SCORE. Um, you know, retired executives, they really kind of help give guidance. So I would highly recommend that you guys, you know, really take advantage of that. You know, the, the you know, um, the black, you know, chamber, you know, reach out, you know, and look at those resources. Universities, I mean, there are programs where they, they give you free training on how to look at your business model, um, marketing strategies and things of that nature. So just hone in on the things that are accessible to you. I don't know, but by a show of hands, uh, are you all familiar with a company called Black Wall Street? Okay, so Mandy Bowman, fantastic founder. Um, she has um, a really unique uh, proposition that she offers to her business customers. So when you do business with her or you're coming into her, her, her platform, they offer free legal services. So, you know, essentially, if you're trying to figure out how to get set up, you know, they have, you know, people that can literally walk you through that, that process. So um, leverage that. So. Um, often after the idea phase comes, oh, okay, where do I get the money from? Or where, maybe I've made my first dollar, where do I go? So Chris, I would love to know um, your recommendations. It's, let's say the first dollars come through uh, whatever we're selling. Let's make something up. A hat. We'll go back to the hats. I've sold my first hat. Now what do I do? do? Can I run this out of my personal business account? Should I look to local banks to start my first, you know, how early is too early to, to start looking at business bank accounts? Yeah, so I think it's never too early. I think if you are in a process where you're trying to start a business and um, you're trying to get your bank account set up, you know, obviously make sure you have your entity, LLC, S-Corp, C-Corp, based on how you're going to, you know, operate the company. Uh, once you have that structure in place, um, do get a business account. Um, I think the the misconception that a lot of founders, you know, do, and I think if I had to, my, my younger self, if I had to do it all over again, is don't take out personal credit card debt to start your company. You know, if you have good credit, leverage that good credit to have a track record from your business side. Go get a business credit card. Um, you can start establishing, you know, um, good paying history. You know, you can start showing that you're paying your bills on time. Um, and that doesn't necessarily ding you on your personal credit. So you don't, if you have a 750, 800 credit score, you can keep that credit score, but then on your business side, you're building you know, that credit for that piece. So a lot of people don't really know that. Um, so I know like with Frost, I mean, you know, we look at, you know, PG, which is personal guarantee. Um, so if you're going to get that ding on a personal credit card, why not just go ahead and just start your business, you know, that way? 
Um, that's, that's just is really more efficient. Um, I say that's one key component. Um, another component is a, a gas cart. You know, uh, people don't think that, you know, with inflation and gas prices being as high as they are, get a business, you know, gas cart. You got to drive somewhere, right? You got to network. Um, all those things, you know, kind of play hand in hand. So, you know, those are just smart ways that you can make moves. And, you know, as you're trying to start your company, you can kind of build um, kind of, you know, credibility, you know, with your, with your company. Um, but find a bank, one that you can trust. Uh, a lot of banks, obviously, you know, they, they, they talk a big game in terms of, hey, we're about customer experience and all those things. But, you know, one of the things that really resonates with me and Frost is, you know, we really are customer centric. You know, we do business with people. So we want to really understand, you know, what are your goals? You know, what are you passionate about? And how can we get you there? Uh, so always make certain when you're, I literally say interview the bank, you know, see where it's a good fit. Um, are they going to support you from the beginning? Are they going to give you the financial advice that you need where you can set yourself up for success? That's great. Um, it's funny. I, every time someone gives a great response, I'm like, hold on a second. I got you, you mentioned entity, set up an entity, and I'm putting myself in my first business shoes, like however many years ago it's been now. I'd be like, whoa, 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 entity. Hold on, hold on. I don't know what that is, and I don't know where to go with it. So I'm going to bring this to to start over here on this side. Is uh, okay. We've got a great idea. Now what I need, to, what do I need to do to formalize it? And I'm sure that's a frequently asked question um, here at at Redbird or, or the deck, and and probably to you, BJ, about um, you know what do I do? So what are some different resources? people can look for to figure out how to set up an LLC or determine what type of corporation to, to start if they've got a solid business idea? Yeah, so I'm going to reference one of our outreach collaboratives that we're a part of. So it's called the SBA Community Navigator Program. So we are a part of six different organizations. It's a group of CDFIs, um, business service organizations, and even some nonprofits. So Hold on one second. Um, we have this QR code, it's over there, but you'll be connected to one of these six organizations and they offer an array of different resources, right? So whether it's business coaching, access to capital, but these individuals, they are great when it comes to formalizing your business. So you know, if you need help getting an LLC, because there are some businesses that are slightly predatory, right? They're gonna charge you to create the LLC, the EIN, and even today when I was out in West Dallas, I heard a business owner talking about, I got charged $200 to get my EIN, whereas, as y'all know, right, you can, exactly, right? Um, so that's the thing, right? Just like being aware of these different things, connecting through either a community navigator program, you know, one of our partners up here, right, to just be aware of these things. Yeah, it's scary out there. People <laughs> will prey on, on people. You said $200 for an EIM? 200 should have been free 99, but um, yeah, that's good. And, and if you're a first-time business owner or you've got a great idea, there are unfortunately people who do prey on um, people in that space and if you register for certain websites they'll sell your information other places so always just be aware of who's emailing you double check for spam make sure not to give your information out it sounds common sense but I, I watch entrepreneurs get suckered into uh, some unique or, uh, unique situations that it's tough to get out of so just use common sense and and always ask uh, your, your peers um, one thing that I know uh, businesses uh, struggle with is, okay, I've made some money, but I'm, I'm falling into debt here. I want to grow. I want to raise money. Where do I start? Um, BJ, we've known each other a long time. We've watched you help a lot of companies uh, generate their first few dollars of, of capital into their businesses. Um, if someone were here excited about raising money, could you talk about the different opportunities for companies to raise and maybe what Impact Ventures fo focuses on? Yeah, to the earlier point I made about knowing 
<clears throat> what kind of business model you have, right? And what's your long-term goal with the business um, can dictate what type of capital you should be looking for. Like at some point in the trajectory, you should be looking for you know, institutional capital, i.e. a bank loan um, or a CDFI partner, right? Um, or alternative lender um, like ourselves um, or friends and family. And so it really, it really depends on where you are in the stage and what you're raising capital for. And I'll, I'll do an example of like when, when you should pursue debt, right? If you have a business that doesn't, let's say you don't have a business model yet, meaning you don't have revenue generating, or if you're generating um, less revenue than you're spending, then you probably don't have a sufficient enough model to take on any type of debt, right? Um, but there are flexible types of debt out there. You've probably heard the term revenue-based financing um, out there or royalty financing where they take a percentage of your revenue. Um, there's more flexible debt products out there that are growing actually more in the ecosystem um, that provide entrepreneurs um, a, a better terms that are more friendly for their terms. So instead of paying a, a fixed um, payment back to a term loan, you're paying a percentage of your revenue, right? And it might be a small percentage, maybe 5%, 6%, 7% of your revenue on a monthly basis. So this is looking at your monthly cash flow statement and saying, how much debt service do you have? That's what a bank is gonna look at. That's what any lender is gonna look at, right? And so, um, you know, we're talking about debt, like equity, right? When do you take on equity? I see a lot of entrepreneurs getting caught up in the headlines of uh, TechCrunch and all these magazines of raising venture capital, but, if you have no plans to sell your business, you should not be pursuing venture capital. You should not be setting up investor meetings, asking people for, hey, can you invest in my business, if you don't have a goal of setting your company, because that's the only way that that investor is gonna get paid back, right? So I often see entrepreneurs go down that path, and they spent six, nine months chasing angel investors and uh, VC funds, and then they get in the meeting, and they say, well, I don't, I don't plan to sell my business. I've actually had that happen. I was like, well, what are we doing on this call? You know, if you, don't, if you don't plan to sell your business, that's the only way I could get paid, right? Um, and then looking at alternative types of capital, um, really it's just understanding how much um, risk are you willing to take in your business, right? In terms of the capital that you're generating from your income. I mean, it's really like blocking and tackling. And that's where I'm trying to keep it. It's really blocking and tackling. Like how much are you making? How much are you spending, right? And do you have enough room to afford taking on any other type of capital that you have payback? And that's as the simplest form as it gets, is blocking and tackling. So, yeah, I would start there. Yeah. One thing I'll add, you made a good point. Um, VC is not for everybody. <clears throat> Angel investing, you know, friends and family, the same. But I think in, in hindsight, if you can find product market fit or find people that want your product, just go sell. Because if you got revenue, then you, you know what? You might not even need a VC or an angel investor because then your numbers basically show for themselves. So then you, you keep controlling interest of your company versus if you go the VC route, which, you know, he made a good point. You know, if you're trying to scale fast and you're trying to be 100 million, maybe, you know, billion dollar, you know, type company, then VC is the, is the right fit. But if you're not, then you can grow your business organically and still have a nice nest egg and still be a multimillionaire or whatever your goals might be. So don't ever get caught in the in trappings of, you know, do I need to go down the VC or angel lane? If you got sales, just keep growing. And when you keep growing, they'll come to you. <laughs> and then you can have better terms of negotiating versus giving up a majority of your company. 
I want to go back to your, your story that you were sharing with about the company that you started um, to, to build a, a product, like a, a grooming product. I feel like there's a lot that goes into packaging and branding and formulas. How did you fund that first kind of stage of the, of the business? How, what route did you go? Yeah, so I was talking to, um, what's your name? Said. Talking to Seth um, about just the uh, process of, that I went through. Obviously, my, my situation was a little unique. Uh, I played college balls, NFL, free agent for the 49ers, tore my PCL. So I had a little nest egg, plus my business partner was an NFL player. Uh, so we had capital that we could actually put into the business. Obviously, everybody's not fortunate enough to do that. Um, so for us, you know, at the time, you know, we thought, hey, we're going to just build this thing really fast and, and grow really quickly. Uh, but as I said, you can grow real fast, you can crash and burn. So, you know, you have to be very methodical in, in terms of, you know, how you pace yourself and how you, you know, look at your business model in, in terms of how you need to, you know, scale your company up. But there's a lot that goes, that goes into, you know, packaging, you know, raw materials, marketing. You know, if you're fortunate enough to get into a big box, you know, is that going to be the right fit? Because, you know, shelf space is very expensive. So you got to pay marketing people to market your stuff because they're not going to market it for you. Uh, so there's a lot of things, a lot of moving parts that go with it. But, you know, hindsight, I think, you know, Start small, and then you can always grow, go big. And that's the advice that I would give, you know, if I had to do it all over again. Um, you know, lessons learned, I think that's what entrepreneurship teaches you. You know, it's trial and error. And, you know, you know failure is not a bad thing. It's just, it's just more lessons and things that you learn over, over time. But the key is you want to make certain that you don't go back and do it again. You know, make certain that once you make that mistake, you, you fix it, you rectify it, and you go on and, you know, you, you, you continue to build. I think one of the best things about building a business in this year and this day and age is access to technology and resources online. I feel like you can learn pretty much everything on, on YouTube these days. And so I always, I always encourage people who have a, a business concept, like go learn the lessons of, of others, like listen to the challenges that they've, they've run into. And um, there's so much you can learn out there and learning to not make mistakes, listening to someone else make a mistake is, is a lot cheaper than making your own. So there's so many resources um, available for that. Um, I wanted to talk about um, accelerator programs. There's, there are a lot of people who uh, ask questions about, well, should I join an incubator or an accelerator? And you're and often asked to give up a percentage of equity in, in your business. How how can, uh, well, one, what accelerators are available um, to, to people here in Dallas or maybe virtually that you know of? Um, and how to, how to determine if it's a good fit for you? Do you have any? Yeah, so when we're speaking about the deck, we have multiple accelerator programs. So each accelerator program. Wait, hold on. Let's give, what is an accelerator first? Yeah, so accelerators, it's going to vary in time commitment. But typically, um, if we're talking about impact ventures, I know like you're going to have to commit three to four hours a week, maybe even more, right? But it's very intense, whereas our accelerators, we're targeting more uh, entrepreneurs in the ideation phase, right? So we want to make sure you can get from an idea to a market-validated business. So they're typically seven to eight weeks. That we're going to have maybe, again, two hours um, talking about like curriculum, and then you'll have some mentor office hours sprinkled in, pre-work and assignments as well. Then our other accelerator is for businesses. They're one to two years in operation. They're looking to scale. Maybe they're wanting to hire a team member, and they want to figure out, okay, how can I either raise money to hire my team, or should I be raising more revenue and then hire a team member? We also have um, an accelerator program that's just focused on female entrepreneurs. Um, so I know we're going to have that in October as well as 2023. So please be on the lookout for that. Any advice, BJ? Yeah, I, I think 
so in DFW, there's a ton of accelerators, um, which is great. Like every ecosystem needs a lot of programs. But I think the key is understanding like what is the best program for you and what fits for you. Uh, oftentimes you get entrepreneurs that come out of certain programs and they're like, oh, that program sucked. They didn't do this and they didn't do that. They didn't do this for me. It was a bad experience. Like oftentimes it's because that founder didn't do enough research to know that that particular program was not the best fit for them. So my advice is to do your own homework on the programs and what the, the services that they offer and make sure that um, the resources and, and services they offer fit the stage that you're at, right? And so as she talked about, um, different accelerators have different stages. They also have different industry focuses. So if you are a CPG company, consumer product good company, um, there's SKU, there's uh, programs like that out there. If you are a health tech company, there's health wildcatters, there's tech wildcatters. Um, specifically with Impact Ventures, our program is really focused on three different types of businesses. So if you are a technology or tech-enabled startup company, um, if you are consumer product, consumer goods, so let's say you are you have a beauty product or let's say you have a food product that you're looking to uh, get into big box retailers. Um, those are the types of companies we focus on and then scalable ventures that are looking to do business with government agencies. So your contractors, your, um, we have one company in our program now called Imperial Floors, which you would not think that this market exists, but there are tons of people out there that buy custom dance floors, right? High end market, right? They're paying, you know, $100,000 for, you know, per, uh, customer um, plus per customer, but believe it or not, there, there's an industry for that. Do um, they light so up or like what? What a dance? So <laughs> think about like quinceañeras. Think about weddings. Uh, we I mean, they're like, like custom dance floors with like, I mean, the husband and wife's faces in the floors, lights up floor. Yeah, like he does it all custom, literally. Um, those are the three types of business models. Also, you have to be in business at least two years um, to qualify for our program and also have to have at least a minimum of 50K to 250K in revenue, right? Um, and so every accelerator is gonna have some of the same frameworks that, that uh, Alexis mentioned. Uh, education, mentorship, you know, maybe some capital. Um, nowadays, I feel like if the program doesn't have capital, like, I wouldn't pursue it. Because um, nowadays, it's like, I just feel like entrepreneurs of color are over-mentored and undercapitalized. And it's like, if I'm gonna learn and sit somewhere for 12 weeks, I, I wanna check at the end of the day to come with that, so um, so the capital piece is, is crucial as well, even if it's a small grant or you know something you know for, for my time um, and being a part of it. Um, but yeah, there's a lot of programs, so I just say do your research on what really aligns with you. Um, the reason we, we say that we want uh, two years in business, um, at least 50K to 150 in revenue, because the resources that we provide in terms of mentorship, education, it is at that 201, 301 level. So the mentors that you're gonna work with, it's gonna be the ex-CFO at uh, TGI Fridays. It's gonna be the ex, like, the chief marketing officer at, um, what's the company up, up in Plano? Um, the, um, one company. the tech company that went public. Uh, that just went public. Um, uh, Al, uh, Alchemy. Oh, uh, yeah. yeah, you're right. So I'm saying that to say these are very high level people that have very limited time. And so they're going to be looking for results out of you. Right. So it is a very I know, Amber, you know, <laughs> uh, it is a very no nonsense like, you know, because that's what it is. If you're going to be an entrepreneur, you, it's not something that you can play around with. Um, you can, but you're going to waste a lot of time, a lot of money. Right. And so you really have to be dedicated to your craft and what you're building. And um, I'll say the benefit of being in any accelerator is that at the end of the day, you should 
have more knowledge than you came in with, right? You should have a larger social network or professional network that you came in with. Um, those two things along. And you should have a, a sense of community um, with, your, with your peers that you're learning with. Those three things alone are the essential things that entrepreneurs really need to grow. And so if you're getting that out of, the, out of an accelerator program, like, I feel like you're winning. So. Yeah. Go ahead. Um, and another thing, too, definitely check out DallasBuilds.org um, because they have, you can filter by either resources. So when it talks about like accelerators, they're going to have a list of different organizations that have them. Um, and as Ben said, you know, definitely check out and see if it's a right fit for you. And, you know, as I pointed earlier at the desk over there, um, I believe we have a little handout that has a few of the accelerators on there, like Accelerate Her, but definitely check out DallasBuilds.org. And I'll say, a lot of our organizations that she mentioned, we all work together. So when you go through her program and you graduate, eventually you come around to us. So it's kind of like this, this stair ladder to step you to get to the next level. So just know that if you don't qualify for our program or any other program, like as you continue to grow, eventually you're going to get to where you need to be. And that, and that, to me, is a healthy ecosystem when you have programs and services that can support entrepreneurs at the stage and time that they're, they're at. So. Uh, I think there's certainly phases to it and stages. Uh, my company in venue uh, went through Impact Ventures, and the the biggest I think element that you helped the team. It was before I joined the team, but was just getting that message and perfecting a pitch and like the purpose that you served was so powerful that we were able to get into um, a, a sports tech accelerator yep. with NBC and Comcast, which was massive. Put us put us on TV for the first time, and we just raised four and a half million dollars. But it all started with getting resources and getting that message right and the vision and practicing with the team. It was a small team at the time, and I think it was the first time you had gone total, totally remote, right, all yeah. virtual. Um, but it was her whole, her whole business model that shifted, actually, when she yeah. Yeah, came yeah. into the program. And that's okay, too. That's I think that's um, something that I hear entrepreneurs are nervous about making a pivot or a change, but successful companies, if you look back in time, I mean, look at Amazon sold books, you know? I mean, if you look back at some of the companies, they, they really honed in on what they were great at or evolved entirely to, to make it. So so thanks for your support of entrepreneurs. But I do want to I do want to talk about something that um, comes up really frequently when you're working to start a, a business or a startup. Um, and it's not necessarily about money, but it can be very expensive if it doesn't go well. But I want to talk about team and co-founders and bringing people in to help you. Um, I know a lot of people have friends and family who reach out and say, hey, let me help you, let me help you. Um, but I want to I want some of your best recommendations maybe on how to how to build a team or, or how to navigate things as a, as a solopreneur, because I know a lot of people in here probably are starting on their own. Any recommendations? Yeah, so a few things. Um, I feel like, one, it's important just if you're looking to either you know, have your family or friends help you out with the business. Just, again, think of those boundaries, and also it might sometimes get a little bit messy. Um, but also, you know, when you do mature in your business, just make sure that you are charging what you're worth and don't undervalue your expertise or what you bring, because that's what I'm finding with a lot of founders. You know, doesn't matter if they're in ideation or if they're more seasoned, they aren't charging a competitive rate. So keeping that in mind, especially if you have friends and family or like, oh, I want to use your service, and I get at a certain point, right, it's free, but also being mindful, like, hey, you have to charge them at a certain point. BJ, any recommendations for, for teams or solar to figure out where to, where to start, but... <laughs> like, how much, how much time do we have? Team is everything, man, like, literally. Um, at the early stage, you know, the idea, people always talk about, you, I need to protect my idea, you know, I need to sign this NDA, you know, 
people are not going to steal your idea, right? <laughs> At the end of the day, uh, and, and don't ask an investor to sign an NDA because that, that will make you look very uh, novice. But I, I will say that, you know, you guys heard the statement before that ideas are a dime a dozen, right? But it's about the execution, right? And often what I, t what I find with solo founders in particular is, uh, this is going to sound harsh if I say the lack of self-awareness, right? But there has to be enough time spent with yourself to know what it is that you do well, right? And what, like, what do you love to do? And what do you need to outsource to either a co-founder or to another team member or something like that? At the beginning of our, of our program, and I don't know if I did this with y'all, but I tell our founders to close their eyes and imagine they're a $10 million business today, right? Close your eyes. What is your role as a CEO? It looks very different different at zero revenue or 100,000 revenue <laughs> than it does at 10 million, right? At 10 million, your job is to manage, inspire, and lead. That's it, as a CEO, right? But when you're a startup business, you're the accountant, you're the marketer, you're the financial, you're the CFO, you're, you're the packer. <laughs> Your kids is probably the Packer too. They should. That's <laughs> why you had the two, right? To package right. things up. Yeah. <laughs> right. Uh, you're wearing all the hats, right? And so you really have to understand, you have to do some self-reflection self and really understand what are your skills, what are you good at. Um, some of those things that can help is uh, Strength Finders 2.0 is a great exercise you can do. I think it costs like $20 to take the test, but it'll tell you kind of where your strengths are. Um, and then also, um, I do it with my team. I have my team actually do it as well. Uh, it actually, so the concept of strength finders is to say that growing up, and this is just like in grade school, they would tell you that focus on your weaknesses, right? So if I'm good at math and I'm not good at science, I need to focus on science so science can like come up. That's actually not really the best thing in business, right? The best thing in business is like focus on the thing that you're like an A plus student in and outsource the other thing, right? So don't find a, a, a co-founder that has the same personality as you, you know, because y'all can butt heads, like interpersonal skills, right? Um, don't find a co-founder that has the same skill sets as you in terms of how they uh, uh, solve problems. And strength finders can tell you how you actually solve problems. Are you a thinker? Are you a doer? Are you a relationship person? It can tell you some of those things and how you show up with other people. Um, but it also overall, just to make it um, short, is, is, is really being intentional about what you need and a lot of times that takes an entrepreneur to slow down and sometimes that's impossible because the business is going it's running you don't already launched the campaign on social media people are coming at you like you know and you're trying to fulfill orders but you don't have time to slow down um, because oftentimes you'll find that when you when you move too fast you make a bad hire and when you make a bad hire it costs more than money <laughs> <laughs> To make the bad hire, it costs you more than money, right? It costs you your mental health, your mental peace, your, your I mean, your, your gut. I mean, everything is just off kilter when you have a, a bad hire. So I would say think long-term about what you need and prioritize where are the needs and prioritize things that move the business forward, right? There's this thing called vanity metrics, right? You know what vanity metrics are? Likes on Facebook. Um, you know, uh, subscri no, subscriptions, that's, that's a good sign. Um, social media, um, you know, you pop in social media, so you, yeah, my business, but you're not making the money, like, 
So focus on the things that move the business forward, right? So like, do you need, if you're, I'm assuming some of you are in the product industry or e-commerce, right? The next hire you should have as an e-commerce person is either an account manager or someone that's gonna pack the bag so you can sell, right? Because every business has three things, someone who, who, who maintains the business, the person who sets the vision is moving the business forward, and someone to market the business. Those are the three components that you need, right? And so if you're a builder and you're a maintainer, you need to find a marketer, right? Because if while you're looking down, who's, who's marketing? Who's, who's setting the vision, right? So think about those three elements. I, kn I know she's gonna ask questions. She's trying to get a question in, but towards the end, I think she's holding questions, I'm sorry. Um, but I would think about those three elements. Uh, who's building, who's marketing, uh, I'm sorry, who's maintaining, who's marketing, and who's building, right? The builder is the person, the visionary, the person that's moving the business forward. And so oftentimes I see people prioritize, oh, I need a marketing person. You don't need a marketing person yet. Marketing is free. You can automate marketing. Go to Zoho and find the little zoho.com and go to the little marketing thing and you can automate social media posts. Like, you don't need a person for that. So think about those things that are actually gonna move the business forward and move the business forward is traction, sales, right? It's, it's uh, partnerships, it's contracts. Those are the things that move the business forward. Yeah, collaborations. Those are things that move the business forward. Um, and the one thing I did want to add with marketing too, so um, there's a resource that you can get a meta rep. So you can have someone from Facebook and Instagram, you know, work with your business for free and let you know when the algorithm changes so you can, you know, like edit your posts to fit that, but also making sure you're able to, you know, get your product or service to the right audiences. And okay, how do I find that? Because that's the hardest thing. Where, how, so seriously, how do you what's how do you get part of that program? Because they are the hardest people to get in touch with. Yeah, so I recently found out MetaReps, they have their own specific number just to, you know, help business owners. So it's different than the regular customer service number um, because that that's just a whole other thing. They're not going <laughs> to reach out. Um, so I think I have that on my phone. Um, that's okay. We'll talk after. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Reach out to me. It's the hard. It's the hardest thing. Um, Chris, I wanted to um, end with a question down here. Um, let's let's assume our business is going really well. We're making money. Um, what are some things to be on the lookout for? What could we invest in? Are there any growth hacks for um, for startups when it comes to banking? Are there any unique opportunities for loans or exciting things that Frost might offer, or any resources that you know about that you could share? In terms of the company's growing. Mm -hmm. Well, I think if you're at that stage where the company's growing, I mean. Um, you're looking at how you can really kind of take it to the next level. Um, that's where you can have established a line of credit. It could be, you know, permanent financing. Um, there might be acquisition where, you know, you might acquire another company to kind of propel your business. Um, so there's there's ways that you can look at, you know, really uh, scaling your business up. Um, in terms of growth hacks, you know, I don't know if that would really um, center around banking. I mean, BJ, you might be on the VC side. But... Um, I think for us, I mean, we look at it from a global cash flow perspective. So, I mean, if the company is making, you know, revenue, then we can, you know, do a lot of things. We can be very creative. Um, I think that's one of the unique things about Frost. You know, we are the leader when it comes to being kind of a regional type bank. Um, obviously, you have your big, you know, large global banks, but we can do the same thing. Um, but we tend to, you know, look at the deal based on the individual. And we can, you know, structure things, you know, maybe thinking outside the box. Uh, so it just depends on where the company's going, what your goals are, what you're looking to do. And then we can kind of assess, you know, from there, you know, what makes sense to put you in the right product. 
Did you learn a lot about companies? Um, I, I think a lot of people benefited from the PPP loans and some of the SBA work that was done out there. Any lessons learned or anything you would encourage startups to do now in the instance we might run into a pickle like that in the future? Lord, PPP was crazy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think everybody, it was, it was a rat race. Everybody was just trying to get the money before it ran out. You know, if you were the fortunate one, you know, God bless you. But, um, you know, it was just, it was, it was a lot to navigate. You know, I, I really, honestly, during that time, it was just, it was very challenging for a lot of companies and just everybody just from a mental health standpoint, you know, the, the world completely was shut down. I mean, that's just unreal to me when you think about it. Um, but I think, you know, as you move forward, you know, now the economy, you know, it's, it's, it's moving in a really weird way, you know, with the inflation, prices are up. Um, I think, you know, right now you just got to be very smart about how you spend your money. Um, I think, you know, really looking at, you know, do you need to increase your prices? You know, do you need to make certain that in terms of if you do have employees, you know, do you need to retain those individuals, you know, based on, you know, costs and things going up? So you just need, really just need to do a, a financial assessment of your company and just kind of see, you know, where do I need to make cuts? You know, uh, where do I need to be lean? Uh, so you can kind of get over the hump, you know, during these times. And then obviously once we get over the hump, you know, then everything just kind of skyrockets back again. I think that whole process taught a lot of startups. I, I'm on a bunch of forums and groups on Facebook, and I just watched people absolutely panic about getting their finances and their accounting together because the people that benefited from the PPP loans and what was available were the ones that were ready to apply for it. Like if you're scrambling at the end to, to get your business together and your financials together and pull together tax documents, you might miss out on some of those opportunities. And I watched a lot of people suffer for that reason because they just weren't ready to even ask for the help. So um, all the more reason to be at an event like this to get prepared and um, set, the, set the tone for the future. But uh, I was going to make a point to what, what he was saying about like right now, the times that we're living in. If, if you are an entrepreneur that is selling a product or service, now is the best time to raise your price, right? Um, I'm not saying you can, everyone can default to say inflation, um, <laughs> but it is the thing right now. Like inflation is a real thing, right? Um, supply chain is increasing in terms of costs, right? Um, cost of goods do go up. If you are a food business, the cost of eggs are not the same, right? So right now is the best time to raise your prices, but also think about what are some creative ways you can uh, continue to retain your customers by offering some flash sales every now and then, right? So as you increase your prices, okay, you could do a 15% off, that's gonna drop your prices back to where they were when you originally started. So you're, you're not losing by, drop, you know, by doing a flash sale. What you're doing is you're retaining your customer and you're, you're thinking about your customer and increasing that customer experience. So I would say right now is the best time to raise your prices, offer a few flash you know, discounts, and then, you know, back to just to get them, you know, into what you're, what you're selling. I don't know what, what all your businesses are, but I'd say that right now is the best time to, to, to raise your prices. That's great. Does well, anybody, let's get a quick no, question. Does anybody use any kind of accounting software, QuickBooks or, okay, so the majority, okay. That's good. So it's, it's always good to look at trends, you know, to kind of get ahead of, you know, where the market's going. Because then you can anticipate, you know, if you're going to have, you know, purchases, you know, increasing prices and things of that nature. So always, you know, on a regular basis, you know, look at that income statement, you know, look at your, you know, balance sheet, you know, look at, you know, cash flow, you know, see where the money's coming at, you know, see where you need to, you know, look at other, you know, revenue options. Um, even from a forecasting standpoint, that's going to tell you very quickly, you know, where you need to really be anticipating, you know, you know, maybe shortfalls or, you know, you might need to get a line of credit, you might need to do, you know, various things. So 
just always stay in tune. I mean, everything, when it's going great, you know, it's, it's a nice ride. But then when the bottom falls, mm-hmm. you, you don't want to be scrambling. Totally. Well, let's end on um, one round of applause for our, our panelists here. We'll do some questions. Um, before we switch to questions, because I know it's going to get hectic after we close out, but tell us how to get in touch with you or what URL to land on when we're looking for more information. Yeah, so if y'all want to get in touch, my email is alexis at thedeck.co. Um, so please feel free to reach out to me via email. And if I'm not able to serve y'all or help y'all, I will definitely connect you to another person or organization that's a better suit, um, better fit for y'all. Um, and also check out our website as well to stay up to date. And of course, dallasbuilds.org to stay up to date with all of the Dallas um, business ecosystem. Yeah, you can find us on um, all social media, Instagram, Twitter, all that at uh, Impact Ventures Co. Uh, Co. Um, our website is impact-ventures.co. Um, and you can reach out to myself um, or we're our Rockstar team uh, that can help you all uh, get the services you need. Um, we just started our sixth uh, cohort um, three weeks ago, so we're in, we're in week three now, but we're opening, we have a rolling application. So every month on the, I believe the third Wednesday, we have an info session. So if you wanna learn more details about the program, um, also about the fund, we have an info session where you can learn about that. Um, I think. We just had one yesterday, so the next one will be in October for our info session. You can find that on our website um, to sign up for the next info session. Yeah, you can reach out to me anytime. I mean, as you guys know as an entrepreneur, you're working 24-7. You never can cut it off. But um, you can email me at Christopher um, dot. I'm sorry, Christopher.Butler at Frostbank.com. Um, if you want to email me about any questions or just, you know, want to, you know, bounce an idea, I'm happy to help. Um, give advice, you know, um, any way that I can, you know, do from that standpoint. Um, from a frost um, perspective, you know, we only not only do commercial banking, we obviously, you know, do the personal side, um, insurance, investing, you know, how are you pr- protecting your staff, you know, how are you protecting yourself, you know, those are things that we can talk to you about. Um, so, if, you know, if we can be a resource, please let us know. Awesome. Uh, we had a question, I thank you for my first hand up back there. Do you want to ask a question? Covered it? Okay, who's got a question? Okay, I'm sorry. What would I do next? Would it be hiring somebody to reach out or pop-ups or I don't know what to do next? The answer, I would need more information to to give you a solid answer, but I would say you're off to a good start of at least getting out there in in the market, right? Um, Go ahead. I was thinking uh, maybe because Black Friday, I would try to start marketing like in November or something. I'm not yeah, I mean, you have inventory. You say you have inventory. I have everything. You no, know, there's a market, right? Um, so now it's just how do you want to attack the market? How do you want to be in the market, right? Um, you can just go all out, or you can start slow and do pop-ups. You know, you can go to 
daycares, you know, places where you know where kids are. Um, you can go to churches, et cetera, um, to find where your customers are going are gonna to be. But that just depends on how fast you want to grow. You know, like I don't know how much capital you have on hand to spend. It's a lot of qu unknown things to give you kind of a, a solid answer on what to do next. Okay. Thank you. It's okay. Green, green here. I'm loud. Okay. Um, hi, thank you everyone for speaking. Thank you everyone for speaking. I'm Maxie Taylor. Um, I had a question about once you become a full-time entrepreneur, insurance. Nobody knows where to point me to. Nobody knows what resources are available. And as an entrepreneur, it doesn't. I can't really pay that whole thousand dollar a month situation that they want. So do you guys know any resources for full-time entrepreneurs because we're not getting insurance through our employers anymore? Is this health, health insurance? Health insurance. Oh, okay. So oh, okay. I was, I was going to ask what kind of insurance. No, not insurance. My I was bad. like, <laughs> uh, are you using any type of, uh, are you using QuickBooks or any type of accounting? Okay. You don't use QuickBooks? Okay. Yeah. So some... Yeah, if you have a QuickBooks platform, they actually now they integrate your insurance plans into that. Um, but uh, yeah, healthcare plans. Yeah, so they have a, a partnership called Simply Insured, and so you can actually sign up yourself and your employees through that. Um, the biggest thing is just knowing um, all the details of your insurance. I mean, there's a lot of small businesses out there. I can point you to a couple that I know are in my email right right now that service small businesses. A lot of chambers of commerce have um, small insurance companies that provide small business for, ins uh, for, for uh, insurance for small businesses. Look into some of those um, if you're looking for health insurance. Um, be careful though because some of them will require that you have at least two FTEs before you can sign up as a plan. Which are? Full-time employees. Thank you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That you Right. So so make sure you find a plan that's flexible enough to just take you as a solo, right, as a solo plan, because some of them will require that you have at least two full time employees before you can even sign up with their with their plan. Yeah. It's tough, though. It's a, that's a good question. Look into HSAs yeah, as well. HSA, the health savings account. Well, let's see why I pick who next. I ain't dealing with this. Oh, uh, right here. <laughs> right here. I just passed the mic. <laughs> Don't be scared, KJ. <laughs> Nervous. Uh, yeah, definitely appreciate all y'all for speaking today. It's been amazing. Uh, my name is Javian Hodges, uh, and my question is, I guess, like, what's the biggest question you guys feel like most founders aren't asking when it comes to scaling their business from that six to seven figure mark specifically? What question uh, entrepreneurs are not asking? Mm -hmm. I'll say one one thing that a couple. A lot of entrepreneurs make a mistake on is, um, you know, when you have your business address, you use your home address. Don't do that. You know, get it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Get a virtual um, office or virtual address that you can use. It just make it le legitimizes your, your company uh, to make it look real. Um, it it kind of eggs me a little bit when you see people. And I, I've done it before. When you have a Gmail, it'll say Chris at Gmail. That's not a business. So if you have a bakery or auto shop, it should be Chris at autoshop.com. So then it, it's, it's your company name. So when you're reaching out to people and you tell them about who you are, what you do, then you'll more than likely get, you know, feedback. So those are just some of the, you know, uh, mistakes that I see sometimes that entrepreneurs, you know, make. So just be mindful of that. I would say what I'm not hearing a lot is, um, especially from CEOs, is what, com what kind of culture do they want to build within their organization? 
Um, there's a saying that culture eats strategy for breakfast. Um, if you've ever heard that, what that means is that you could set a plan and a strategy all day, but if you don't have the right culture to execute that, that plan will never, it'll never take shape. And when you're talking about scaling, the challenge, <laughs> the challenge around scaling, right? We're not talking about going from like zero to one employee, but like going from 10 employees to 25 or to 100 is that you start to lose touch as a CEO. Like you don't know what's going on in this department. You're expecting that this person is gonna operate like you trained them. The only thing that keeps people in check in terms of execution and how, how they show up to work is core values, is company culture, right? Like it's, it's, it's not a, sometimes it may seem like a gimmick, that you see a lot of CEOs are like big personalities or like they talk about values, they talk about diversity, like they talk about um, uh, integrity and things like that. The core values are the things that are going to allow your, your team and your departments to operate in a, in, a, in a way that you want them to without you being there, right? So when you leave the room, everybody relaxes and they, you know, so the core values on what it means to be a part of whatever organization, XYZ organization, setting those strong mission, vision, and core values as a CEO and reminding your team of that constantly, then you, you, you don't run into a lot of the interpersonal things because once you get 10 to 20 employees, all it takes is one water cooler conversation for you to have to call in the HR person because so-and-so is disgruntled because so-and-so's tone and like, it's just a whole different set of problems when you got 10 to 20 employees up to 100 employees versus when you're first starting out and it's just you and maybe two other people. So that's a question that I don't, I don't hear a lot is like, what culture do you want to bring in your organization? Is it a, like a work, work, work cu culture? Is it, a, is it friendly to parents, you know, who have to deal with, you know, children and, and all that? Is it, is it um, inclusive to where everyone's voice is being heard? Because that's hard to do when you got 100 people in, in, the, in the culture, right? So that's what I see, and sometimes that culture will guide the strategy, right? Uh, one thing is uh, that I've heard startups struggle with is um, once they hit a certain point, they're like, well, how do I pay myself? Am I, am I, is it time to pay myself? I don't know. Um, and looking at what type of entity, if it's a, a C-Corp or an S-Corp or wherever you're at tax-wise, very important once you get to those big figures. So important to think about early before you get to the point where you're scrambling and try and figure that out. CDFIs are uh, Community Development Financial Institutions. Um, it's an acronym for uh, CDFI, and these are um, entities that provide loans um, and services, um, I would say for, I hate to say risky, but for a more risky um, client until. So they might look at, uh, their underwriting policies might be a lower credit score that they'll allow. Um, you know, that might be an exchange for a lower interest rate or a higher interest rate, depending on uh, uh, where you are, but essentially banks work in partnership with CDFIs because sometimes where institutional banks can't lend because whatever their underwriting requirements are, they'll rely on CDFI partners um, that can come in and fill where there's gaps, right? And so that gap might be, um, you talked about personal guarantee, right, or, or personal PG, I think is what you mentioned. So what that means is 
if you're going to get a loan um, from a traditional bank, they're going to require some type of owner injection. So you have to put money into the into into the deal for you to you know be qualified, right? Or they might say, what asset do you have um, to to be able to secure or back this loan that we're going to give you? Well, if you don't have an asset of the value, a hundred percent, this CDFI might say, hey, we'll back you at eighty percent of the value of that asset, right? Versus another institution might want a hundred percent of the asset of value. So it really defers, it, it, it differs based on what bank you're working with and what CDFI um, you're working with. Um, essentially, the CDFIs were, were created to provide loans and, and um, small business loans and, and also mortgages um, because CDFIs are in that, that space as well um, for minority communities. So you should all get to know who your CDFIs are and what um, stage and what range they invest in, right? So here in Dallas-Fort Worth, you have DreamSpring, you have Lift Fund, you have People Fund, you have BCL Texas, now you have True Fund, um, you have um, us who's pursuing our CDFI, who else am I missing? I said People Fund. Um, oh, now you got Lendistry that just came in. Um, these are all CDFIs here in the DFW area, but they all lend at different stages, right? Um, your lift fund, I think either, I always get those two confused. They're gonna do more micro loans, so anything kind of like below 25,000. BCL Texas is gonna be 50,000 to 250, kind of in that, that higher range. Um, so really just know what, what um, the average check size for, for each CDFI and where you fit. We'll also send out a list of resources of different uh, CDFIs as well as a list of business bankers you guys can ask questions with as well for everybody who registered to attend. KG, my girl right here had a question. Um, hi. So on the subject of capital, right? So um, you have a small growing business, right? You have a, a line of credit or you can do those alternative revenues like through Square, Shopify, right? But those things take um, percentages daily, right? And then you go to a bank, and now the bank is saying you have these constant, you know, deb debits out your account. How do you suggest we get out of that loophole trying to scale? Because you, you take it, you buy more inventory, now you're, you know, getting these daily things. That, that's kind of where I'm at with my business scaling, but I can't get a bank loan. Yeah, so <clears throat> I think uh, in those type situations, you, you need to probably increase revenues. Um, you can refinance uh, the debt. Um, I think those are there's the options that you can look at. I mean, I will be 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 aware of like you know these shark loans that are out there because they do take a, a high percentage of your your revenues, and it's it's literally a slippery slope. So it's really hard to recover, but. Um, you, you probably just need to just kind of just look at the whole financials and just kind of see, you know, maybe there's some areas where you can maybe restructure some things. And I'm happy to, you know, look at, you know, your financials or just sit down with you and just kind of see, you know, where you maybe can, you know, cover that. Um, what does your company do, if you don't mind me asking? Uh, Raven Fashion. Raven Fashion? Okay. So you, are you, work, you doing this through Cash App? Shopify? Okay. Yeah, let's just offline, just look at, we can schedule some time and just look at what you have. Um, but a lot of times, you know, you, you, when you get into those type deals, just be very rare because they're, they're easy to give you the money. But once you get that money, it, it's game over. Right. Yeah. Is there an expiration date with, 
with the the deal that you have with them, or is it like a mandatory opt-in or? Right, they're taking daily out, yeah. Now, the capital that's tied up, is it because you took out a loan from them? Well, they give you like square, whatever, it's no, it's no. So it's a fee? It's a, it's a working capital loan. It's a working capital loan. Okay, it is a loan, okay, yeah. okay. You, you essentially got the money and they just basically ding you every day on, on whatever, pay it back. Yeah. Pay it back. yeah. Okay. So I, as soon as that's over, whenever you pay it all back, I would just cut off the, and, and just stop doing it anymore and look for alternative types of capital. Because obviously you're, you're, it sounds like you're showing positive you know, revenue, right? But that, that daily balance, if I'm a bank or if I'm a lender and I'm looking at that, I'm like, ugh, those margins, I mean, they're taking money every day, you know? That's, that's predatory, <laughs> so. Hello, Chef Amber. Um, thank you guys again for your expertise. Um, so I know in black and brown communities, it's normally frowned upon, uh, debt is frowned upon. Um, and I'm at the point now where I'm trying to raise seven figure capital and going towards investors. So can you talk about some of the myths and some of the truths behind going into good business debt and what that can do for scaling your business? Yeah, I think there's a, a, a thing, I know you said, um, there's a thing called good debt and bad debt, right? And essentially, um, good debt is debt you're taking on to grow, right? So if you're taking on capital to grow, that's gonna put you in a better situation. But if you're taking on capital and you're not growing, i.e. you're spending more or your costs are going up, et cetera, that's, that can be considered bad debt. I don't wanna put you on the spot, but the situation that you, that you explain, like that's a situation where that's bad debt. That debt is not working on behalf for her to be able to, to scale. Um, and it's great for everyone to learn from you, so uh, I hate you, yeah. Um, <laughs> um, and it, it happens yeah. to everybody. Yeah, it happens to everyone. I'm not trying to put you on the spot. I, I thank you for, yeah. Yeah. Well, exactly, that's predatory. That's, and when you annualize that daily rate, it's probably like 22%, 25% annual when you, or more when you analyze that, you know, annualize that daily um, transaction fee, that's crazy. Um, but I would say um, the myths and, you know, there is a myth that all, you know, I don't wanna get in no loan, I don't wanna have to pay people back. I think you have to understand what are the levers in, in taking on debt. And so when I say levers, like what are the things that matter in a debt loan, right? The interest rate, the maturity date or the term date, um, how much you're taking, um, what's some other things that might? I mean, bank finance is really cheap when you when you think about it. <laughs> to to a point. Right. To a point. <laughs> to a point. Yeah. yeah. It's but just getting it. It's just getting it. <laughs> yeah. That's the thing. You just got to see where your company's at. Because um, I mean, if you do bring on investor, I mean, they're going to pay for that that equity. Right. So you got to look at you got to just look at the pros and the cons. Just like getting a mortgage, we all know that it's cheaper to get a mortgage than it is to live in an apartment. But do you got to have fifty thousand dollars? in the bank just to get into the mortgage, right? So same concept with, with, with debt is that 
there is a, a, a misnomer that debt is bad and that, you know, can, can, you know, if you don't understand the levers, yes, debt can be very bad. If you don't know what you're signing up for, that's why you should always have either your legal, you know, advisor or someone you know who's experienced in business, a mentor, have them look over the contracts before you sign them, right? Because if you don't know you're signing up for a 25 plus interest rate loan, you know, you're going to be looking at your balance when you've made payments. And then at the end of the year, you're going to be looking like, I thought I made such and such payments. And that annual rate is going to kick in. You'll be like, whoa, all this interest, where did, where did that come from? Right. Um, so you end up paying two, three times the amount that you actually took out in the loan. Right. So really take the time to understand, like, what are the key components of that debt? Um, are you taking on too much? Right. Sometimes you might want to reduce how much you take. Um, the interest rate, understand what's impacting the interest rate. One of the things that I do when I'm shopping for, when I was shopping for what, what um, bank I would use, understanding like what is their underwriting process for their different products, right? If you're trying to get a line of credit, okay, tell me how that works, right? Oftentimes we just go fill out the paperwork and then we get a letter that says we were not um, selected or we were disqualified or we would not, would not be moving forward with your application. But you have no idea what the underwriting process was for that for that bank. If you ask them, they will tell you, right? If you sit down with your banker, this is important of why you should have a relationship with your banker is because if you sit down and ask them, how do you all underwrite your lines of credit? How do you all underwrite? What are the things you look at? Okay, you want to have a debt to equity ratio of at least 40%. Okay, what does that mean to my business, right? If you sit down with them and understand that, then you'll know which products are good for you. You know, you know what, what debt is good for you to take on. So, and I think you have to also look at the capacity, you know, how much the business can afford. Because sometimes you can right. take on too much debt, and then that can be bad for you as well. So just, you know, get with your banker, look at your goals, and just see what makes sense. And I think, you know, as we mentioned before, you know, when a bank looks at underwriting, every bank is different. Um, every deal is different. So I think, you know, it really just comes down to, one, is this secondary source of income, you know, how is the business functioning? Is it, you know, paying for itself? You know, are you having, you know, positive, you know, you know, net returns and those things. So there's just a lot of factors that go into it. Who is the banker? Uh, that's us. I mean, <laughs> I mean, well, in a sense that, okay, so you have, I guess you have, uh, so you, you have commercial, you have small business bankers, you have commercial bankers. So um, small business bankers can go from, you know, companies that are making a million up to 10 million. Um, when you start getting into the middle market, it's, you know, it's 20 million to up to 500 million, uh, just depending on the size of your business. But, you know, one of the things that we do very well is we don't look at a company based on size or revenue. We, like I said, we look at the individual. We look at, you know, what you're doing. So um, hopefully that answers the question. Or, yeah, yeah. Was my colleague. <laughs> yeah, all of them, yeah, Frost. Yeah. Mark makes a good point. Like with our clients, you know, every banker is different, but like with my clients that I manage, they literally have my cell phone number. That might be a good or bad thing, but <laughs> they can call me anytime. So, you know, I have some clients that call me on the weekend, you know, they just want to just, you know, you know, shoot the crap or they just might have something that goes on. So I try to be accessible because 
I, I get where you guys are because I've been there before. Um, so, you know, you're, you're trying to navigate. You're trying to figure things out. You're trying to make certain you're making the right moves. So you need to have a good, solid financial partner that can be along that journey with you. Hey, Mike, you, you want when you when you when you talk about chair. partners, I was hoping there's I always define it as a three-legged stool. All right, that partner is a CPA slash accountant, an attorney. That attorney is not a divorce attorney. It is not a some other attorney. It's a business attorney, and then the other one is a banker. So a three-legged stool is your banker, an attorney, or a CPA slash your accountant. That's going to help your business as you develop, as you prepare to move on, helping you with the right advice. And if I had to make three legs to one other leg, I would say a good mentor in the business that you're already in. Yeah, Mark makes a good point. Yes. Find a mentor. Find somebody that's going to believe in what you're doing. And, you know, for me, I had many mentors, and I've had some people that, you know, they say they want to mentor you, they talk a good game, and then you can't find them. So, you know what, hey, People, they get busy, but at the end of the day, we all know when we want to find time to do something, we're going to make time. So you want to find somebody that aligns with what you're trying to build, and it might just be 15, 20 minutes you know, you, that you're talking to that person, but find somebody that's invested in you, and that's going to really help you along the way. And if your mentor tries to charge you, that's a consultant. So just make sure they're not charging you. <clears throat> I think we had time for one more, KG. Is that right? Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Yep. So you guys did a really great job. My name is Jason Hendricks, and uh, my question is, I believe there's a gap between, like, the small to medium enterprises and the innovation-driven enterprises, right? You know, so you see these tech companies that can raise millions of dollars, right? Then they can just hire their dream team. But as a small medium enterprise, you don't have that capital to be able to do so, which puts more, like, stress on you to wear those many hats, like you mentioned earlier, which creates that burnout, right? So when you said slow down, I put that in all caps on my little to-do list, right? But then I thought about it. Like if you're wearing all the hats and business is still moving, how do you really slow down and pace yourself? Because when you slow down, like the business slow down. So what do you do in that situation? Great question. And, and I think in that sense, what I'm really saying in that is not slow down, but I'm saying prioritize, right? And so even though you're wearing all the hats, as y'all know, just I'm just gonna correlate it to real life, all hats are not the same size. They're not created equal, right? So if you are wearing hats, there's going to be some hats that are more important than other hats, right? So if you think about that, it means slow down and actually prioritize what you should be really be focused on. Because sometimes there's no, when you're, in an early, when you're a solopreneur and you're in an early stage, there's no job description for the CEO, right? Like there's no job description that you can point back to and say, this is my job. So when you wake up in the morning, how do you know what's the first thing you should focus on? Anybody know? Can anybody tell me what's the first thing? Like, what's their strategy? When I wake up, I know I'm focused on this. Come on, I know we got some, like, I'm calling y'all out now. Sales, okay. Social media, see, that is the wrong answer. So. <laughs> the bank account, she checks the money. Okay, okay. Deliveries overnight, right? So depending on your business, that's gonna be different, right? <laughs> Meditation, okay, yeah, you, right. So what I'm saying is not slow down as in like don't, like, don't stop running your business, right? But sometimes you gotta step back and reassess where is my time and my energy going, right? Because um, if, it's, if it's the first thing you do is wake up and you scroll social media, think you just, you just wasted an hour. 
<laughs> you just wasted an hour of precious time that you could be putting into other elements of the business that are moving forward, right? So it's not about slowing down. It's about prioritizing and making sure that your energy is going to, into the things that really, truly matter, right? Real quick, I, I know you guys got a lot of questions, and we're excited about it. Greatly appreciate it. I'm going to let uh, – I got a special guest have him say something. But before we get out, I want to make sure that before y'all leave, make sure you get their contact information. We have also have three representatives right here that you can continue this conversation. It doesn't have to end tonight. I know you have questions, so you can speak with them directly, one-on-ones. Anything you need uh, asked, you can ask us as well, and I can forward it to them. Just make sure you build that relationship. I know you guys want to want to keep talking. I appreciate it. Definitely appreciate it. But let me let uh, Jake Taylor, Jake, say something real quick. My guy is uh, – as a guru in this market, so I want him to say something real quick before we get out and before you guys, you know, start to exchange contact information. First of all, I want to appreciate the panel. Y'all give them a round of applause. They're amazing. Just so that you all know, there's not a random dish talking. I built a 20 plus million dollar conglomerate, debt free, no outside investors and no loans, no credit. Um, and I built with strapped income, bootstrapped. Um, or we're in the tech industry, education industry, distribution industry, as well as the financial services industry. And we started off in the financial services industry. Um, and my biggest concept was not taking outside lenders. And it's not because I absolutely hate banks. It's because I wanted to dispel what our people think about. If I don't have funding, then what? And so now you can't never say it again because I didn't have funding and we built a 20 plus million dollar company. Last year we did $26 million debt free. And um, the thing I want to tell you, I told KG, bro, you got to tag me in. <laughs> I said, bro, I looked at him, I said, bro, tag me in. Um, what a lot of um, uh, initial founders fail at is selling the vision. Because a lot of us are so caught up in getting into entrepreneurship to solve our immediate issue, paying bills, take care of our family, taking care of bills, uh, extra income. I just, wanna, I just wanna make some extra cash flow for my vacations. And that's not enough to get other people who are talented to buy into your vision. And so when you think about building a company, the company has to accompany other people that can see their vision inside of yours. And so when I first got started, bro, I had zero dollars. I had no money to pay people. So I was like, okay, like, I know I need people to help me survive. And we're in the tech industry, too. So I know I need people to help me survive, but I ain't got no money to pay them. <laughs> so, Lord, help me figure out how I'm going to pay them to pay us to, so that we can do what we need to do for us together. And the money just didn't show for us together for us. And my credit was too bad to go to the bank, so I had to figure it out. Oh, y'all ain't got no five hundred and below? Okay, that's okay. I had to figure it out. <laughs> I had nobody I could go to. It was just me, myself, and I. Me, myself, and I. That's how to figure it out. So, so I had to figure that out. And what I realized, the bigger the vision, the easier it is to get people to commit to it. And then the, the next thing I had to figure out was everybody is only for a phase of your business. So as I began to start building my business, a lot of us like to commit to people that committed to us initially. But in scripture, Exodus 18, it teaches us capable. Uh-oh. Oh, y'all don't want me to go there? Okay. It teaches us capable people. And people who are capable already have the ability. Willing people are willing to, they're, they're accessible, wanting to help you get there, but they don't have the capability to help you get there. So you want to find people who already have the ability to actually help you get there. 
Now, they only may be there for a period in time, so you can't be caught up in them. Does that make sense? So when I first got started, my CTO ain't the same CTO that I started with when I first got started. But it was the CTO that I needed to get started. CTO is Chief Technology Officer. Does that make sense? And so what I had to figure out was I had to cast a big enough vision to get somebody to buy into it enough to help me get to the next phase of my, my business's life. Does that make sense? So in business, the key is if you don't have resources, you got to be resourceful. And a lot of entrepreneurs fail at being resourceful because we lack at resources. I mean, for the people that's under 500 credit, brother, you look like you got 800 credit score. Everybody go to that brother right there. That brother look like he got the paper. Y'all say paper. But he got it. <laughs> he said, I do. I do. I, I actually do. So what I want you to realize and I want you to understand is that in order for you to get, sometimes God just wants you to step. And a lot of us judge where we currently are and who are currently around us and we never step. And so God wants us to just find the best qualified that's around us and just step. And then when you step, it's not your job to figure out the next step. It's your job to maximize the step that you're in. Does that make sense? So faith is to believe it's already there and to work as if it's already done. And so what you got to do is say, if God gave me this vision, I got to believe it's already there. Now I got to work as if it's already done. So I got to work what's, what's around me, find the best versions of what's around me, and not be so committed to if they're going to be there for the long haul. I just got to be committed to they're there for me for the moment. And then in the meantime, in between time, you start finding more people that are more capable that allow for you to get to the next level. Brother, this is how I made it. So I went from not being able to pay people to having 20 people on my salary. I'm paying six figures a year. It can happen for you.